Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Podcast Network Asia. Welcome to She Talks Peace, a podcast that highlights the role of women peace builders around the world in bringing lasting peace and security to communities. Eavesdrop on their communities and get to know their stories. From the Philippines to Malaysia, from Indonesia to Palestine, from Myanmar to the United States, their dreams and hopes for a world without violence and a world where every woman and girl can be whoever she wants to be. Hosted by Amina Rasul Bernardo, President of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy. This is She Talks Peace. When there was a peace process way back in 2007, I think it was, we made it mandatory, the United Nations, to have women in the peace negotiation. The women became flower vase during the peace negotiation. They became a flower vase because none of them talked. None of them. Despite the fact that we had one-week workshop with them, get their issues, brought their issues, and put it there. Salam, salam, dear listeners. I'm back in Manila. Welcome to another episode of She Talks Peace. I am Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy, joining you from the Philippines. It's good to be back home. And I really hope you enjoyed the last episode with my sister, Talma. Unfortunately, I was in Dubai and I lost my phone. Luckily, the nice people at uh, uh, the Emirates Airlines found my cell phone on the plane and gave it back to me, thank God. For those of us who are so tied to our cell phone, you can just imagine the panic that I felt. All my contacts are on the phone. So thank goodness that the Emirates people found my cell phone. Salma, in the last episode, talked a little bit about what's going on in Gaza with the fighting between Israel and Hamas. Salma was recounting a conversation with a taxi driver while she was in Aceh for a conference. And this taxi driver was in tears about the situation in Gaza and Israel. The humanitarian crisis in Gaza is really horrendous. And the drums of war concern even those of us in Southeast Asia. UN Women has released statistics on their website following the October 7 attack 
by Hamas on Israel, which resulted in an estimated 1,400 deaths, 4,600 plus injuries, and an estimated 200 people taken hostage from Israel. The Israeli armed forces launched strikes by land, sea, and air against Gaza. To date, this has resulted in more than 3,700 Palestinian deaths, more than 12,500 people injured, 490,000 plus women and girls displaced from their homes, and almost 1,000 have become widows. All of us who value life and human rights support the UN Women's Call for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire and for the establishment of humanitarian access to facilitate the immediate entry of assistance, including food, water, fuel, health supplies for those who are in the Gaza Strip. UN Women has stated that even prior to the present crisis, the situation in Gaza had been dire, with 97% of men and 98% of women in Gaza actually fearing for their safety. And this was before the attacks. This She Talks Peace episode coincides with the anniversary of United Nations Security Council Resolution 1325, a landmark document addressing the critical issues of women, peace, and security, or WPS, which recognizes the unique and deep impact armed conflict has on women. I mean, in Gaza, almost half a million women and girls displaced. Can you imagine? Ultimately, 1325 affirms and promotes women's role as agents of change in building and maintaining peace, in negotiations and resolution, post-conflict reconstruction and healing, and conflict prevention. My friends and colleagues in Palestine, one of them we had interviewed on She Talks Peace, Lucy Talje, who is a Christian Palestinian, a member of the city council of Bethlehem, has always lobbied for a return to the peace process. And Lucy, we fear for her situation. Her home is right next to the wall that Israel built to isolate Gaza and uh, the Palestinians. You know, most of our conversations on She Talks Peace showcase the stories of women peace builders like Lucy and try to elevate relevant issues anchored on women peace and security. UNSCR 1325 actually changed the worldview in terms of advancing gender equality, pushing our governments to re-examine antiquated ideas on who should be at the peace table. Clearly, not just men. Women have so much to offer as equal partners. Studies and surveys have been conducted to show that when women participate in peace building, in peace processes, the treaties, the agreements 
have a higher chance of becoming sustainable. Two decades later, there's still a lot more to be done to ensure that the objectives of 1325 are realized globally. For this episode, we have a very special guest who has done and continuing to do massive work to realize the Women, Peace, and Security Agenda, especially in the realm of justice. This is our dear friend and colleague, Indai Sahor. Indai brings over three decades of experience as a gender humanitarian advisor in regions affected by war and armed conflict. She has worked with the United Nations and international NGOs in countries like Iraq, Afghanistan, and Sudan. Recently, Indai was in Papua New Guinea, where she trained local leaders, counselors, and law enforcement, leading to the formation of the Highlands Women, Peace, and Security Localization Steering Committee. This is, I must say, this is uh, quite timely because I have always um, been informed that the violence against women in Papua New Guinea has been extremely high. Indai was honored with the Rockefeller Fellow on Human Security from the City University of New York. She has uh, received award, the Dame Nita Barrow Award from the University of Toronto, and the Gender Justice Award from the Women's Initiative for Gender Justice. She served as the convener of the internationally recognized Women's International War Crimes Tribunal on Japan's military sexual slavery, a landmark initiative that acknowledged rape and sexual slavery as crimes against humanity. In 2020, she was deployed to Syria as a gender humanitarian advisor to the Office of the UN Resident Coordinator for the Whole of Syria Response. Welcome to She Talks Peace Indai. Hi, Amina. Welcome to She Talks Peace Indai, and welcome back to the Philippines. You've been away so long. Yes, I'm happy to be here, and it's a privilege to be part of She Talk. And of course, congratulations to all the initiative that you have done. And now She Talk has not only won an award, but which is really one of the podcasts that women globally are looking forward to listen to critical thinking and cutting-edge analysis on the issues related to women and peace. So thank you for really putting She Talk forward. And thank you so much for your encouragement in Dai. You know, I can't help but think that perhaps there should be more space given to women like you, especially on Twitter or X, as they call it, instead of our ambassador, Teddy Boy Loxin. I mean, the, the tweet that he released, which he has erased from X, it's really incredible in Dai. I mean, saying that about this Israeli-Hamas war, saying that that's why Palestinian children should be killed, because they might grow up to become as gullible as innocent Palestinians letting Hamas launch rockets at Israel, and saying because they're Muslim? Oh my God, Indai. I mean, this is the kind of bias 
that you and I and anybody who's interested in peace, we've been trying so hard to erase that, to neutralize that, and to have our own ambassadors say things like that. My goodness, Inday. You know Teddy Boy, right? Yeah, I think it's really a disaster. Not only because it was uh, uncalled for, for Ambassador Teddy Boy Loxin, who is representing the Philippines, to really yeah. say that. I think it's stupid of him to have said that. And I'll be very frank about it. Because you have to think that you are condemning a group of children and you hope yeah. for them to die. No human being should even think like that. And because they are Palestinian and because they are Muslim, I think BBM should kick him out of being part of the foreign affairs because he has brought shame to the country. It is really uncalled for when people globally are marching out into the streets, demanding ceasefire, demanding protection of women and children. 800 children have died in Palestine in the past two weeks. 800 children. So how can this ambassador of the Philippines named Teddy Boy Loxin can say it's best to kill them because they will grow up to be terrorists? Who are he to say that? I think we should examine that and petition the foreign affairs to kick him out because he does not deserve to represent our country. Perhaps he thinks he's omniscient like God. I don't know. But, (laughs) you know, one of our congressmen, from uh, Muslim Mindanao, uh, Congressman Zia Adyong of the 1st mm-hmm. District of Lanao del Sur, actually mm-hmm. wrote an open letter to, for mm-hmm. Ambassador Teddy Boy Loxin. And he says, there is no room in Philippine society, much more in the high offices of government, for the dangerous, bigoted, yes. and Islamophobic rhetoric that is palpable yeah. in your now-deleted statement. And yeah. just like you... Congressman Zia said it is unbecoming for any Filipino, much more a high official, to visit genocidal machinations Mm. upon innocent children of any nation. Oh my goodness, Inday. A one tweet like that takes us back a step in trying to show the world that Muslims, majority of Muslims, want peace, want a safe space for the children to grow up in, want women to be protected and to participate in decision making. And here is one tweet that brings us back a a step or two. But, you know, anyway, enough about Ambassador Teddy Boy Loxin. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. What I want to do actually is to ask you, Indai, what did mm-hmm. you do in Papua New Guinea? 
Well, I was in Papua New Guinea actually in just this September. I was part of the team of the Global Network on Women Peace Builders who went there to conduct a training on WPS localization. But you know, I know the women in Papua New Guinea because when I was with the UN United Nations in the Pacific way back, I have worked with the women in Papua New Guinea. So we have a partner there, uh, Lily Bissor from Voice for Change, who is totally an amazing woman. I mean, she has single-handedly brought women from different provinces to start a movement, you know. She started a movement to end violence against women. But more importantly, she also did participated in a number of tribal conflicts as a peacemaker. And they listened to her, which is really very rare in the highlands of Papua New Guinea. So I'm really happy that the work there just last month, actually, really involved, you know, not only the tribal leaders and the women leaders in seven, in six provinces, but it included the police, the local councillors, the youth who are very important in our work on women, peace and security to talk on how they can address the, the uh, tribal conflict happening in their region. So I would just like to take note that we are doing this at a very local level, which is just in the mm -hmm. highlands, not at the national level. And these are some of the things that we should strategize in our work on women, peace and security. Just ensure that we are concentrated and focused in areas where the conflict is really happening. And right. where we can mobilize the local authorities as well as the women and other key players to talk about peace at the local level. Because once you talk about national level, you get lost into the process of being in the national level. Well, the impact of our work is really on the ground. Like, for example, in the Bangsamoro. our work and the conflict that is you know, being already addressed we need to analyze what are the gender dimension that women benefited from where the regional work has been done after decades of conflict. That is part of women, peace, and security, positioning women at all levels, not only being part of the negotiating table, but analyzing the gender dimension of the development of the conflict towards the impact of the conflict towards women and girls, but more importantly, to the whole community. Hold that thought, Inda. I mean, talk about gender dimensions. When we think of Papua New Guinea, we we think about jungles and you know return to innocence. But you you told me earlier that the violence against women is brutal, and I was just wondering why why is it that way? What are the gender dimensions in the the conflict situation, the tribal conflicts that they are visit? all this violence uh, against women. And what can your tribal, your Highlands uh, Council, what can they do to change that? You know, the tribal conflict is always decided by the men in one tribe. It's the men who decides whether to go 
to a conflict with another tribe or not. And usually the cause of the conflict is about land. It's about the coffee that's being planted. It's about stealing the pigs in the yard. You know, it's very minor, but can escalate into a really brutal conflict. But the decision-making when the tribal leaders are meeting, it's always the men who decides whether they go to conflict. Women have no decision-making roles during the conflict. Yeah, absolutely not. Their role is to provide food when the conflict is happening to the youth. So the causes of the armed conflict in Papua New Guinea is also brought about by tribal conflict interest. Then there is a big issue of sorcery accusations. We call it SARV, SA, sorcery accusation related violence which affect also both men and women. And sometimes tribal conflict will arise because a young man or a young woman from one tribe got killed and they will accuse another tribe for sorcery, for killing, even if that person died of heart attack or he died of cancer. It doesn't matter. So they will accuse another tribe and they will go into a war and conflict. And two weeks ago when I was there, in another province called Hela, there was a tribal conflict and they burned a young woman at stake. They burned her inside her house. Oh my goodness. It's very violent, extreme violence that's being done to women. So when you analyze the gender dimension of that, the decision-making process of whether to go to war is always done by the men. And even the men whom we interviewed, the tribal leaders who were there in the training were saying that our women our wives always tried to stop us from going into the conflict. But we are the decision makers, you know, so we decide to go into conflict. You know, the machismo of we have the power to decide. So tell me about the Highlands Women, Peace and Security Localization Steering Committee. Realistically, mm-hmm. Indai, what do you hope this committee can do? Yeah. You know why? Because it is the men who really determines whether women should participate or not. Yeah. So, I mean, this was also the same in my experience in Afghanistan. When I was in Afghanistan and I was, I need to meet the women, I have first to go to the men. Those are the realities of the situation which you and I, Amina, need to adapt. Yeah, because yeah. our goal is to reach to the women, but more importantly, to convince and talk to the men the importance of why women should participate. But we also recognize that the participation of women is also a process in itself. Leadership is not grown overnight. We have to teach them to become leaders. And mm-hmm. that is why in a number of peace process, which I have seen, which I have participated. And I'll give you a classic example because I was there in Darfur when there was a peace process way back in 2007, I think it was. We made it mandatory, the United Nations, to have women in the peace negotiation. The women became flower vase during the peace negotiation. They became a flower vase because none of them talked. None of them, despite the fact that we had one week workshop with them, get their issues, brought their issues, and put it there. Why? They're the token, right? Token, oh. token presence at the table. You could, yes. you might as well just have a cutout 
figure of a woman and put that on the exactly on the, on the chair. Yeah. Exactly. Three days, not a word from the women. They were afraid to talk in front of the men. They were not ready for such engagement at the high level, you know. And more importantly, there was a level of fear when on the last day we insisted that one woman spoke. She happily did speak, but before she spoke, she asked permission to the men and the, you know, the con, uh, the, um, the head of the. Um, the wiring faction that she needs to speak, you know. So it's not easy. Huh? We have to recognize that women, peace and security is not about bringing women from the kitchen table to the negotiating table. It's not that. We have to look at deeper into the structural framework of the society that prevents women from being part of it. And then you strategize. Maybe we start with the men, you know how to engage the women. You know, you mm -hmm. have to analyze clearly and a lot of lobbying to position women into those roles. And it takes time. It really takes time. Inday, October 31 is going to be what? The 23rd anniversary of UNSCR 1325. Yeah. Looking back, because I know that you're in the thick of it when we're talking about uh, the UN work on uh, women, peace, and security. Looking mm. back in time, are mm. you happy? Are you content with the steps forward that all of our societies have taken to let women into the table and let women participate in peace processes, in politics, in uh, conflict resolution, in reconstruction? Or are you seeing that there have been some steps backward? Thank you, Amina. That's really the best question, I think, that we need to look at in terms of this anniversary of Security Council Resolution 1325. In my experience, in my experience working in many conflict countries, you know, here in Asia, in the Middle East, and in, in Africa, it has taken a backward stand, mm. really. And I have said this in a number of forums these past months, you know, that so much has been put forward in terms of calling women peace and security, mm -hmm. that women should be engaged in the negotiating table, that women should be part of it. But that's the problem from the start because we are only looking at the women to be mm -hmm. part of the negotiating table. Yes. I find it very limiting because we limited mm -hmm. that structure. But what we need to analyze, and this is where I'm being asked, actually, I mean, I'll be very uh, clear with you. I'm being asked to do a paper on this because of my mm -hmm. humanitarian background. We mm -hmm. are not talking about the humanitarian involvement of women. Mm -hmm. Remember before the war and before the conflict, there's a humanitarian emergency crisis. We right. are not there. So how can we say that we should have women in the negotiating table when she was not even part of the response to the emergency during the humanitarian right. crisis? When women are not part 
of the conflict resolution at the local level. And mm -hmm. more importantly, she is never involved in the humanitarian response because women are considered victims and survivors of the war and conflict instead of active participant to address the humanitarian response, whether they have become refugees or IDPs in their own countries. Yeah. So I think what is important now is we need to restructure our framing of women, peace, and security and ensure that we have first to look at how you and I, how Amina, for example, and your organization get involved in the humanitarian response because that is long-term and process. When I was in Tanzania, I lived there for a year in 2018 and 19. I was working with the Congolese and the Burundian refugees. They were there for 22 years. 22 wow. years in the refugee camp. When I was in Syria, the Palestinians in Syria have been there for 70 years. And they are still refugees. It's almost like a small city, the refugee camp. But they are still refugees being processed by the United Nations and being given assistance by the United Nations. That's the crucial part. You know, let's reshift our strategy of looking at that negotiating table. Reshift our strategy. For example, in Mindanao, where women are right now in our country, how are they being positioned, you know? And where are they in the whole process? Women have to be involved in that from the very start and not just concentrate on a peace process that is unlikely to happen anyway. And if there is, it is unlikely to be resolved. So. Yeah. We need to rethink our strategy in this context. And I can talk more on how women, because I have pushed women. Uh, when I was in Iraq, we were putting women's organization to be able to become beneficiaries of the funding that the United Nations and international NGOs are giving to do response during the humanitarian work. And that is so important. And we are not looking at humanitarian and WPS. It should be humanitarian first and then women, peace, and security. Right. Do you know what, Dindai? I keep thinking of all of the progress that we have made that women peace builders have made in areas of conflict, capacitating women to be active participants in peace building. And then yeah. if the women are not part of decision-making at the national level, if they are not politically active, sometimes it doesn't matter how much ground we have covered. If the national politics change and all of these machos come in to seize control of national government uh, machinery, then women are forced back into, you know, into the bedroom, into, yeah. into the kitchen. And I keep wondering, how do we get governments to realize that having women at the, you know, as a politically active to participate in national decision making from top to bottom is actually good for the stability of the government? Why yeah. can't they appreciate that, Indayu? I mean, you have worked in so many countries and you've seen this. How do mm -hmm. we change the minds of men, Indayu? Well, we really have to analyze the conflict because in certain countries, conflict is an added value. You know, mm. It allows the instability 
to keep them in power, the men. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in certain countries, the more um, the instigation of conflict or maintaining conflict allows the men to maintain their power because they cannot have you know, proper election, they cannot have a meaningful, sustainable governance if you have conflict. But the current leaders of those communities or of those countries can instigate conflict because it keeps them in power. So we also have to look at it in that angle. Then the second one is that there is no one strategy for one country. You know what I mean? You have each country have a different approach. Each country, we have a different strategy. And this is where women, peace, and security is, again, problematic because we have one solution. Our solution is a national action plan. And for years, I was saying that is not the solution. We have enough paper of 102 countries <laughs> having national action plan that has absolutely no impact on the ground. Yeah. Absolutely no impact. So let's be very clear about that. Maybe we just have stated and, you know, stayed in Mindanao the whole time and did the whole, you know, run the whole Mindanao ourselves. But never mind. We have our own national action plan. We can probably build from there. But there is a need to rethinking, rethinking our strategy where we can impact most. Right now, I think in Mindanao, we need to talk about women being part uh, women really being part of the governance in the Bangsamoro area. How do we do that? We don't want this token, oh, let's have a few women sprinkling here. No, we want policy. You know, So that's a different strategy for Mindanao. So it's really clear in Dai that if we want to make women, peace, and security, the WPS agenda effective, in all of these communities affected by conflict, you need to ensure that women are participating not just in peace processes, but really to participate, to be fully engaged in uh, humanitarian response, whether it's due to conflict or, or natural disasters. Wow, Indai, uh, there's so much to unpack um, in, in this matter, no, we haven't even gotten to the issue of uh, can there be justice? Can there be peace if we don't have um, justice? So at this point, uh, given our riveting discussion, I think what we can do for now is to um, have Indai give us our, her parting message uh, based on the discussions we've had so far. And then, dear listeners, we will continue to part two for a second episode with Indai Sahor. Indai, what would be your parting message for today? As we have been discussing, you know, women, peace and security and the different areas of work that we have been doing, it is very important at this point in time that we need to redesign what we mean by peace and security, and yeah. look at the humanitarian processes that we need to address on how women can meaningfully address the issues of linking humanitarian to women, peace, and security. Because as we were saying earlier, 
that before you go into any negotiating table due to the crisis, you entered into a war or armed conflict wherein the humanitarian crisis has been ongoing for years. And what is lacking now is women's participation in humanitarian action. So I think, Amina, it's really important for us to redesign you know, our concept of women, peace, and security in the context and intersectionality of humanitarian action. And that is, I think, where we should go further, as well as talk about that there is no justice without peace, because it's really important for us to grapple with the idea that you know, justice is the core, that's the heart of what peace and security is all about. And justice is not being talked about because as we were criticizing earlier, that we're just saying that women should be in that negotiating table. We are beyond that now. We have to look at comprehensively the issues that we women have to tackle. And it's broader, it's bigger, it's more challenging, but definitely women can do it. I'm with you 100% on that, Indai. Mm-hmm. While... I'm as happy as you are that uh, UNSCR is there, mm-hmm. that it recognizes and has changed the uh, attitudes of uh, those who are really looking at having peace as a foundation for all of our societies. I agree with you that so much has to be done, especially as you said earlier, that we seem to have taken several steps backwards. So my dear listeners, stay tuned to our next episode to hear the continuation of our conversation where Indai and I will be talking about can there be peace without justice? So dear listeners, give us a follow at She Talks Peace on our Facebook, Twitter, or X, and Instagram to get updated on the latest episode releases. Please share with your peers. Again, this is Amina Rasul of the Philippine Center for Islam and Democracy on She Talks Peace and hope you join us in our next episode. So Indai, thanks and talk to you soon in the second part of this wonderful conversation. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you. She Talks Peace is brought to you in partnership with Podcast Network Asia and Podmetrics the easiest way to monetize your podcast. For more information, check out their website at podcastnetwork.asia and podmetrics.co. The views and opinions expressed by the podcast creators, hosts, and guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy and position of Podcast Network Asia, the hosts of the program, or other programs of the network. Any content provided by the people on the podcast are of their own opinion and are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone or anything.